Okay, so so many things jumped out at me in that conversation. First Officer Clive talked about how great individuals make great teams. I love that. Secondly, the way he talked about leveraging other experts. He brought in Sir Steve Redgrave to set the standards as an example. He talked about wanting 15 Steve Redgraves in that team. And by that, he meant gold medalists in every position. I love that even more. And personally, it's a prism I look through in terms of the teams that I build and lead. I think thirdly, Sir Clive's curiosity to acquire more knowledge is what gives him that edge in his craft. So he talked a lot about books and we'll put some links up to those. He also talked about visits to the NFL over in Denver and the University of Colorado team, observing how they were doing things and where there was transfer. For example, the way they were so specific with their attacking and defense coaches, rather than the generalist approach we had in British rugby at the time. The overwhelming take-home message for me, though, was about standards and an undeniable part of leadership full stop or building elite performance in general is the ability to inject your intensity, your enthusiasm, your perceptions of potential and your levels of belief into the rest of your team and keep it there. I think Sir Clive gave us some real clues in how to do that. And that's where I want us to focus now. Sir Clive talked about this in terms of teamship. So the set of rules, obligations that the team voluntarily agrees to adhere to and commit to. I'm privileged to have experience as a leader, owner, partner, advisor with multiple elite organizations across business, sport and the military. And for me, this is absolutely one of the first things I want to optimize when embarking on any type of optimization or development program. The expectations of yourself and your performers and the standards against which we'll all be judged must be explicitly clear and understood by everyone in the organization. So I would use the term winning behaviors in terms of what we're talking about here. And for me, there's three steps you have to get right in order to capitalize on this in terms of the ultimate currency gains in performance. The first step is that you must get clear on what excellence looks like to you. This starts with identifying moments of excellence. So when you're performing at your best, whether that's for a split second, 15 minutes, a half of one game, a period of games, a month, a quarter, a year, whatever's relevant to you. In those moments, it's about stepping back and breaking down what was unique about you as a team in terms of the behaviors you were demonstrating. What was going on there that isn't always going on? It could be the way the team was communicating, the trust you had in each other, a set level of competence from everyone in the team. It might have been a certain energy or intensity. Then we start to go a bit deeper. Where was that coming from? Why was it unique to those moments? You can even flip the question on its head and reflect on moments where things weren't going well at all and identify what was unique about that period in time or those events. This helps us uncover what we want to move away from in terms of behavior and what we won't tolerate in the future. You can also ask the question, what's the opposite of those behaviors? And that will help point you towards some of the conditions that we want to be targeting moving forwards. Answering this question is how we start to craft a very clear target about what we're trying to build. The aim is quite simply to get clear on what it is that enables you as an organization to unlock all the talent, ambition and effort that potentially lies dormant when other conditions just aren't present. That's step one. Once you know what excellence looks like to you, the next step is all around communication. How do you communicate this to every single being in your organization? When I say communicate, I don't mean plaster it up on a wall somewhere, copy paste some adjectives or a nice tagline or hand out a little culture book. Nine out of 10 times, they end up gutless slices of paper. 
Lord knows, I think we've all had enough of that. Instead, you need to ensure that everyone in the building understands and internalizes the why, the what, and the how in terms of what these behaviors actually look like. I really recommend giving tangible examples or stories that illustrate those behaviors in action and the wider impact they had on performance. And ideally in terms of the results they ultimately produced. I'd also recommend using tons of examples, ideally from what I describe as peacetime scenarios. So perhaps Sunday night before the training or working week commences and specifically infer how that behavior is relevant. But then also the more obvious in times of war. So in Saturday's big game, during the presentation, the pitch, the sales call, the investment meeting, whatever that might be in your craft. I think it's really, really important, just like Sir Clive talked about, to involve the cultural architects, the leadership team that makes up your organization. If you want people to consistently engage in behavior, it's vital they have the opportunity to voluntarily buy in to what you're asking of them. When you have voluntary engagement in terms of standards and behaviors, there's no one yelling at each other to get stuff done because now getting your act together and getting stuff done is your job. You voluntarily signed up to do it. The reality is that in any organization, there's that top 10% of performers that everyone else looks to in terms of setting these standards. And unfortunately, in too many organizations, it's done unconsciously. So this is about making the process fully conscious. So we're fully aware of our behaviors and we're fully aware of what's being reinforced in the environment. I think this is a bit like what I refer to as the David Beckham effect. Now, growing up my generation, if David Beckham got a new haircut, I can guarantee you in the next week, half the school I went to would have that haircut, they're off. And it's an example of that word influence. So when you're thinking about who to engage in this process, it doesn't necessarily need to be senior leaders. It needs to be people that have this influence. This involves second level thinking, stepping back and observing who has influence in the organization at multiple levels, whether that's through ranks, qualifications and different domains within the group. You need to really engage these individuals because these guys are going to be the trendsetters in terms of the behaviors, standards and values that are enforced. They've ultimately got political capital and you want to make sure you leverage it. In terms of application, Sir Clive recommended setting in the problem, for instance, what are the standards and timings in this team? Go away, have a think and come back to me. And then the team come back with a proposed standard. An important point here is that you're not losing any power control. Ultimately, you retain the right to say, no, I don't think we're quite there yet. Go back, but consider this or think about that next time. This way, it all flows from them, which dramatically increases the probability they actually stick to the rules. It's a pretty futile process if we don't get this bit right. Not only that, these individuals ultimately are going to be the enforcers. They're the guardians of these standards. When you look at high performance teams, senior management shouldn't have to be spending a lot of time working or jumping in on discipline. That should come from the leadership team. And that's another reason I highly recommend involving them intimately in this process. They're the ones that will have eyes on more than senior management ever will. So it's critical that they're engaged, bought in, understand, and have the authority to enforce these standards. We've all heard about the famous dressing rooms in sport where you've had that Jose Mourinho Chelsea team with the likes of John Terry, Frank Lampard, Didier Drogba and Peter Cech often described as the spine of that team, they enforce the standards. I'm sure that was exactly the same in Sir Clive's England team. The likes of Martin Johnson, Lawrence Delalio, Mike Cat, Matt Dawson, I've got no doubt they were enforcing these rules before anything got 
anywhere near Sir Clive engaging in a conversation about discipline. I think the other perhaps famous example in sport would, of course, be the Sir Alex Ferguson Manchester United team. I think his involvement in terms of basic discipline was probably extremely low with the likes of Roy Keane, Pierre Schmeichel and Steve Bruce in that dressing room. Another important point for me to mention here is Sir Clive talked about how when you've cracked this, you'll know because your senior leadership team will come to you when there's a problem with the rule or the behaviour or that we need to tweak something specific to optimise the adherence or to calibrate so that it's more realistic in terms of its actual execution. That's a great sign you're really getting this right. Then we come to step three. At this point, we're crystal clear on the behaviours that we know are linked to us unlocking our best. It's been communicated to everyone in the organisation. They understand and get it and have had the opportunity to raise any objections. Now it's all about human behaviour 101, the absolute basics of management, which are so, so often done really, really badly. I'm talking about positive and negative reinforcement. We're talking reward and discipline. Now, if metaphorically your dog shits on the carpet and you give him a biscuit, there's a very high probability your dog is going to shit on the carpet again. And I see this way too often across multiple organizations where there's clear standards of behavior that are communicated. People then breach them consistently even or in a significant manner. And there's zero consequence. We tolerate mediocrity and then we moan about it. If you have clear standards and people understand them, but then just breach them, and you don't force any form of consequence, then mediocrity at best will set in extremely quick and it will poison your whole organization. I think one great example over the last couple of years of where this hasn't been the case is with Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta. The team captain, Pierre Aubameyang, consistently breached the standards the team and Mikel had set. Mikel dropped him immediately and put him on the transfer list. He was out the building. This was a really significant, bold and courageous example of not tolerating mediocrity. I'm not suggesting that anyone out there should just copy paste this action. You have to consider your unique constraints and resources before you make decisions like that. But as an example of enforcing high standards and really making sure there's consequence to failing to adhere to the basics required to even have a shot at achieving outlier performance, then it's a great example. The negative reinforcement can range anywhere from, uh, hey, you breached our standards. Don't do that again. We've agreed to this. Do you understand? Right up to the Mikel Arteta. You're dropped. Get out the program. I don't trust you anymore. And everything in between. This is where the art of coaching management and having that finger on the pulse in terms of what's appropriate at the time is really important. And I think leveraging the cultural architects in the organization to help set that is a very wise decision. If you know that those standards are essential to you achieving your goals, then you have to enforce them one way or another. The way you do that can be bespoke to your level of intensity, constraints, resources, personality, or phase of growth. You certainly shouldn't copy paste discipline methods from other domains or other people. These methods need to be consistent, thought through, and considered by you and your cultural architects. So in terms of smacking people's bottoms if they're naughty, you can decide how hard the smack is. That's not for me to judge, but there must be some form of consequence. And that's really the take-home message here.
On the flip side, you need to have very clear means of positive reinforcement. Something I see so often is that there are people out there digging out blind to adhere to the standards set in certain organizations. And they're not only meeting them, they're potentially exceeding them. And it's so often taken for granted. It's not rewarded. So metaphorically, that's where we need to have a clear set of biscuits that we all agree on and then give the performer that biscuit when they're doing the right work. Again, the biscuit could be a pat on the back. It could be a public email to the rest of the organization along the lines of sort of, hey, one of the things here that's really important to us and is going to be crucial to us achieving what we want is behavior X. Now, this individual has consistently gone above and beyond expectations in respect to this behavior. And I want to recognize it publicly. This is exactly what we want to be seeing from each other. And if we all engage in this type of behavior, this is where we're going to end up in terms of success and progress with whatever it is your organization is seeking to accomplish. It can be that simple. The key message here is that we highlight and amplify the right behavior when we see it. Even if the KPIs, the outcomes, the results, they're not quite there yet. Reward the behavior because the behavior is what will drive your results. The counterintuitive thing about elite performance is that results aren't the problem. The results are just the symptoms of your process for achievement. And one of the most crucial factors of any process is the behaviors we consistently demonstrate. So we have to get this right. In terms of measuring this, one of the things I've seen work really, really well is weekly, monthly, fortnightly meetings where those cultural architects we talked about, the leaders, the individuals with influence, sit down and just have a quick recap in terms of what are the four, five, maybe even 10 standards we have in terms of technical standards or the behavioral standards? And has anyone breached them? Has anyone gone above and beyond with them? And if no one pops out, then that's fine. But if someone does, whether it's negative or positive, just check in immediately, bring the person in there and then, and either give them that feedback, positive or negative, in a way that's consistent as a leadership team. Psychologically speaking, what we're trying to do here is maximally activate motivation within the organization. And we need to leverage the brain's two motivational pathways. For us, we want to run away from or have some fear of engaging in low performance behaviors. That's the point of the negative consequence of failing to meet those standards. But then we also have to have something predatory and engaging to chase down, to get excited about. And that's engaging in these high performance behaviors going above and beyond to meet standards that win our days, games, weeks, months, and seasons. And that's why we need to reward all of that. A key point here is that these standards must be achievable, and we must then seek to set everyone in the organization up for success. This is certainly not just some set up some ridiculous attainable standard and thrash people to death when they don't meet it, which is why it must be considered, it must be a bottom-up approach involving those cultural architects, and it will be a progressive process where the baseline of those standards will shift upwards across time. And if we execute these three steps properly, that's exactly what you will see. To wrap this up, one of the key things about this podcast is unlocking the real tangible psychological, biological factors that can enhance the performance of yourself and your organization. And for me, this simple three-step process is a very tangible way to do that. The only thing that impedes you getting this right is you. The takeaway questions for me then are, one, can you honestly say you're crystal clear on what excellence looks like for you and what it takes to excel? 
what the behaviors are that drive elite performance in your organization. And then secondly, how many of you are absolutely sure that you've communicated that clearly to everyone in your organization? And three, are you consistently ensuring there are consequences for low performance in terms of these behaviors and rewards for adherence? Following these three steps isn't rocket science, but at the same time, it does require thinking. It's not copy-paste, oh, well, the All Blacks do this, therefore, so should we. It's got to come from you. It's got to be bespoke to you, your organization, and the individuals, the cultural architects that set it. And you need to meet them where they are. But the returns for engaging in this process and doing so correctly will be enormous. I can promise you that. I'm always shouting about how excellence is not about doing extraordinary things. It's about doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. And this is one of those absolute fundamentals in leadership and management. Please, please, please take the time to make sure you can answer those questions with a yes. I want to say a special thank you to Sir Clive Woodward. He was the first professional coach in rugby. But for me, one of the first professional coaches, full stop. In terms of how he brought methodology to building an elite performance team, he wasn't just an ex-player that copy-pasted his experiences. He did that thinking for himself, stepping back, reflecting and leveraging other experts. I personally believe that Sir Clive had a significant impact in terms of how professional sport evolved, specifically in the UK, and was an absolute catalyst for what we see today. I think Sir Clive demonstrates immense humility in the role he's probably played in that area. And one of the reasons we're so lucky in 2023 in terms of being able to benefit from so much science in the area of human performance is because of the second level thinking, open-mindedness and hard work that the likes of Sir Clive engaged in back in 2003. So thanks again for that, Clive. It was brilliant to speak with you. I can't wait to catch up soon and watch all your success to come with Team GB Snowsport. I'll be leaping like a salmon when we win that first gold medal.